Welcome to A24 on the Rocks. I will be your host this week, Cole William Whitlaw Gibson. Tonight I am drinking the lovely Star Ward in Australian whiskey just to celebrate one of my favorite films of all time, The Rover. Uh, up next we have... Yo, what up? It's Blaze Fitzgerald Ryan the first. Uh, today I'm drinking again for the ballers on the budget. Uh, we're doing the champagne of beer, Miller High Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up... We got the. Uh, this is Eric. Uh, I am drinking Aquavit again and enjoying every last drop of it. Up next, we have. This is Kelly, and I am also drinking Aquavit, this time neatly on the rocks, which I highly recommend over having it in a cocktail. Mm. And lastly. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin, and tonight I am drinking the Busker Irish Whiskey, which is a triple cask, triple smooth whiskey. And it's meh, it's okay. I'm ready to talk about some movies. to this week we uh we started off with one of my favorite movies and was also the first a24 film a24 film that i remember ever watching the rover which stars uh robert pattinson and guy pierce uh it was directed by david micho and uh the synopsis of it is basically it's 10 years after a global economic collapse and a hardened loner pursues the men that stole his only possession his car Along the way, he captures one of the thieves' brothers, and the duo form an uneasy bond during the dangerous journey. Fuck yeah! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, going into this uh, into this film, uh, I guess my first question is: Have any of you guys seen this movie, or is this all your first time? Because I don't know if anyone first time for me. Brand new. Ooh. Never heard of it. Yeah, so it was definitely uh, definitely under-the-radar film. It did horribly in the box office. I think it made only $3 million out of the $12 million budget. Uh, but it's got really good reviews, and I think it's pretty awesome. With the um, opening scene, is one of probably one of my favorite opening scenes in a lot of movies. Um, Kelly, I am interested to hear how you like what your thoughts were on the beginning of this movie. So I was going to ask everybody if it was another check your mm-hmm. check your volume yep. start again. And I was like, this is becoming a regular thing, but I quite like it. But I immediately was like zoomed into the world. I found it like it like deafened everything else behind me, even if I heard nothing. And then a fly kind of crawled up his nose and Eric goes, did he just notice a fly went up his nose? <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm back in the real world. And then I was pulled back in again. <laughs> but I really liked the opening sequence a lot. Eric, what about what about you? Yeah, I uh, definitely started out just like, this guy is giving me a lot of anxiety. Like, he is, is not noticing that flies are going up his nose. And then it just keeps on going from there where when he, like, talks to people, he, like... He doesn't hear what they're saying, and he just repeats himself over and over again a lot. And then also vice versa, when somebody asks him a question, he doesn't really ever give them straight answers. Uh, it's just like, I don't know, He's he's gotten past the point. He's so depressed and broken down, he's gotten past the point of 
just normal social uh, interactions. He, he can't do them anymore. Well, yeah, it sent me in this Australian desert. That's, uh, you know, the vibe I was getting. You know, like the 2008 recession was about six years before this, I guess. But this seems kind of like a world if the economy just completely collapsed, the currencies just completely deflated, weren't worth anything, and we're just living in this lawless uh, outback. Yeah, and, and what you talked about kind of uh, is alludes to one of my favorite movie mottos or like the screen grab for what they did was they said that uh, fear the man with nothing left to lose which i feel like Mm -hmm. the the guy pierce just nailed that whole mantra and his whole demeanor throughout the whole movie but blaze what about you what do you like about the beginning or what do you think uh yeah what i liked about the beginning was the the ambiguity of it all most movies these days are kind of grandioso where you know the fate of the world lies on everything uh that the main characters do and this was a bit of fresh air in the terms of that a guy was just trying to get his car back so it was a very simple safe plot and the uh i wouldn't say safe the plot was definitely more grounded to earth than you know the average mcu or even a, a Mad Max, which is a movie that I could totally compare this to. The fate of the world was not riding on this. The fate of the man's car was riding on this. So it really, um, it really helped get into that these are real characters. You don't meet Robert Pattinson's character as a full character until a little bit on. The fact that you know, he, God, I, I really wanted to tiptoe around this. My sister taught me a lot last week, apparently. Um, <laughs> but he was. Uh, he was special needs in some sort of way. He was very good at being a thief. Disabled. And, you can say disabled. Yeah, disabled. Yeah, I mean, he was socially awkward. So the way that he, they played off each other, almost like a buddy road trip movie, was very interesting. Uh, even though it was a lot darker than Zach Galifianakis and Will Ferrell would play it. So intro vibes were uh, very, very good in that retrospect. What about you, Kevin? What were you? What were your thoughts? Oh. My first uh, couple thoughts is there was specific moments in those opening scenes that made me take note and, and pay attention. The first one is where you have that scene where the car flips over and is coming across the windows of the bar and you just have our, uh, our protagonist Eric's face just kind of blankly staring. And there's no music or there's no ambient noise, it's just the soundtrack at that point, which I thought was also really excellent that it completely puts you in the visual mindset without having you distracted by any of the other noises that were happening. From there, the movie does a very good job of pinpointing that first moment where they smash the driver's side window, and that's the the vehicle mover, right? That's how the audience knows that we are off and running, is once that car window gets smashed, and we now feel that the, the intensity of the moment is now escalating. Um, I really enjoyed that I was put into the world, like Kelly said, immediately, um, and it certainly made me view that character uh, in a different light because he was you know, single-minded in his approach in the beginning. I mean, sure, we'll get to it as we continue on, but those first initial impressions were, were excellent, and I was invested in the movie right off the bat, which I think was the directorial intent. So good on him. Yeah, yeah you touched on like one of my favorite scenes. Just the first time I watched this movie, it, everything's just dead quiet. There's very little going on. And then, you know, they had the kind of the flash between the car and then that scene where he's just sitting there and he's having a drink and you just see that truck just fucking take a header right right across the window. And it's all just silence. It's all muffled, basically. And he just is sitting there like no one's reacting. No one's doing anything. And it just it just happened. And 
then that kickstarts the whole movie and it just goes you know from there and i i thoroughly enjoyed that uh that aspect of that film it does have a lot of mad max vibes and it also has a lot of uh a lot of vibes for a lot of movies but it definitely falls into that mad max category like you were talking about blaze next i want to talk about or i want to kind of go into kevin you actually mentioned him by name but i found it very cool and interesting how uh, if you, the whole entire film, they never mention the protagonist's name, not once. Like, he's never referred to, they never call him by his name, he never even says his name. But I, I was going to ask you guys if any of you picked up on that, or if you knew what his actual name was, without looking it up. No, I when I started doing the research for this, I saw what they were calling him in all of the synopsises and the IMDb stuff, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a name. But immediately, I don't know if I would have called him Eric. It doesn't matter what his name is, and that's the cool part about it. It does not make a difference what his name is throughout the entire movie. So I thought that was a cool factor. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. They made a big point with that scene of him refusing to say his name for the longest mm-hmm. time that it then yeah. planted in the back of my head, like, I'm going to keep my ears perked up just to hear if I can catch it at any point or if it's never mentioned, that'll be interesting. And then when credits roll in order of appearance, it says Eric. Obviously, we have an Eric on the podcast, the love of my life. And I was like, Eric, look, it's your name. Like, I thought that I thought it was very interesting that they don't name him because does it matter in that kind of world? And it's something that he clearly like holds very guarded, like many things that he does. Um, and I think that it was an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, with um, that scene or going into like that whole grandma scene and when he goes into that room and all that stuff, that it really um, threw me off like the first time when he asked her what, you know, if she saw the thing and she just immediately goes and asks if she wants to sleep with a boy. That was quite jarring to me, but... It's also like obviously you know built the world and, and kind of elaborate on what they're dealing with out out in the in that lifestyle. Blaze, what did you think about the very first time that we saw Robert Pattinson? The first time that we saw him, he well, you kind of got a backstory on him to begin with. Um, I believe from what I read about it, him and his brother and the rest of the gang were like robbers, and. <laughs> It was a robbery that went wrong. Oh, motherfucker. Hold on. We need Robert Pattinson's character. Robert Pattinson's character. Jesus Christ. We meet him uh, half dead on the uh, side of a road on a bank robbery gone wrong. Uh, it appears that his brother and his gang left him to die, even though that he wasn't. When we actually are formally introduced to him, outside of just dragging along the streets... Uh, we meet him uh, half dead in front of his brother's truck, which Guy Pierce, Eric, picked up. His introduction was, you know, kind of who he played the entire movie, was someone who comes off as a simpleton but probably knows a lot more than he lets on. All right, everybody, we just had a little technical breakdown. Uh, apologize if anything gets out of whack. Uh, we are back in the business uh, we just talked about Robert Pattinson and how great and beautiful of a man he is and how we are all stands. Uh, and then we kind of dove into the nurse uh, aspect who was introduced as the doctor. Eric is trying to save Robert Pattinson so that way he can get the information from him and use him to find his car and basically get revenge on the people that wronged him and stole his, you know, the last thing that he had precious to him. And uh, the nurse... 
she brings a lot of depth to this movie and answers a lot of or brings a lot of more information and like breadcrumbs along the way which i will hand that over to kelly to kind of describe what she experienced during that yeah the nurse and like you said she really paints the world in a more broad light and a more um it's finally a break from like the brutalism a bit as far as we can i also like how she's protected by the town and they won't reveal where she lives unless you ask the right people and buy goods and maybe at gunpoint in order to get there (laughs) but it's another point of great writing we were talking about the advice that eric gives robert pattinson and as well as him talking about the world that he lives in and when he killed people and the worst parts of it but Everything that comes out of her mouth, I found really engaging in a positive kind of way. And the scene where Eric sneaks away into the place where all these dogs are in cages. And you learn it's all these people that left their pets behind with maybe the thought that I'll come back and get it. Can you just watch this dog? And nobody ever comes back. And that just like sends a chill down my spine. And I was curious what uh, you all kind of thought of that scene with all the animals. Yeah, uh, well, it's just like, you know, it shows how far we've come in civilization where, you know, nobody really has pets anymore because everybody's just eating their pets. Uh, And that's the reason why she had all these dogs and cages in there. She said that if, you know, they were let to roam free, then uh, people would start eating them because that's what already happened. Um, And then obviously that was such a touching scene where... Uh, Eric was staring at all of the dogs, and you could tell that it meant something to him. Uh, for the first kind of time, the whole movie, uh, you could really see him getting, like, sad and emotional, um, and actually feeling something for something, someone besides himself. You could tell that that definitely was going to come back into play later, personally, I, I could. But at the same time, it, it was followed up by one of the most violent scenes of the movie where he guns down like five people. So it just was such a great juxtaposition of this kind of like what Kelly was saying, like a more gentle, heartwarming scene, uh, but also kind of sad um, into an extremely violent scene. Now with this scene, this is, you know, considered one of the biggest clues in the storyline that uh, of of really what he's after. Uh, Did anyone, was anyone able to like, put together what he was doing or what was happening until you know the the last scene of the movie kevin so i definitely didn't put it together but i made note of the significance and the importance of that scene in general and how you could definitely tell that he shows some true raw emotion for the first time in the film when he's looking at the dogs i think we've done a good job of avoiding the the obvious spoiler and we'll save it until we get to the conclusion um, but I do think that that entire scene in general, um, from the moment that they drive onto the property until they leave, is very significant and relevant to the whole thing. It shows the only real glimpse of humanity that we see in the entire movie, um, as far as the emotion of losing the partner, of being able to save Robert Pattinson's life. Just that true emotional person who, who wanted to do good for the sake of doing good, where everywhere else in the entire uh, scene is all out for themselves or, or doing things for their own right. Uh, and I thought that was very refreshing, but it was also fleeting enough that it made you forget about it. And the rest of the scenes continued just to, like Kelly said, to be brutal and just to to be to weighing on you. But having that oasis was was definitely important because it refreshed the viewer and allowed them to to not feel 
completely burdened by the ridiculous, you know, oversight of all the death and all of the destruction and things that were happening afterwards. Yeah, I know. I know when I first watched this movie, I had, I, I knew it was important, but you know, I had no idea. I wasn't able to put it together either. And I think they did a very good job of showing you something very important, but then quickly changing the pace and make it, you know high intense high action to make you almost forget about it when when those guys roll up and he you know base gets into a gun battle uh blaze did you have anything to input on that yep i didn't even think of it until eric said something (laughs) that's where i was i didn't even think of it as an important scene i just thought it was just more of him being john wayne badass you know don't touch my wounds i got this you know (laughs) so um no that's actually very clever that is uh one of those uh, moments where I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it because that made no goddamn sense. The whole first half of the movie made no goddamn sense to me, so it's, I'm going to have to watch it anyways. But that's uh, that's some really good foreshadowing for sure. I do think there's something to be said there that um, one review I read too, it was just like all of the most important things that shape this world and, you know, get this movie going, like everything that gets these events set in motion, they aren't shown. You know, uh, what they did, so they robbed the army base, those group of guys, um, or tr- tried to at least. They didn't show that whole scene. They didn't show why there was an economic collapse or any of the, you know, things following that. They didn't show uh, Eric at possibly one of, probably the biggest pivotal points in his life where he killed his wife and uh, uh, her lover. And they just immediately spit you into this uh, world without explaining much at all. Uh, and I felt like that was such an interesting choice by the director, and I I, th- I think I kind of like it, or by the writer, um, mm. just because there's been so many post-apocalyptic films that have been done, and I like focusing more on this character-driven story for, for this film. Yeah, and that's like why I love this movie so much, is because it's such a, again, it kind of goes back to like last week with the slice of life, but it's, you know, instead of a slice of real life, it's, we're going to dive into just like a small very small part of like this apocalyptic story there's no you know like you guys alluded to there's no massive you know save the world or anything like that it's just it's a guy trying to get something that he has lost and and going through the people and the towns and stuff and it's it's very small self-contained story that is very very well done and very interesting and i really really enjoy that uh kelly Something that I felt while watching this movie was like I was playing a video game, post-apocalyptic Australian Red Dead Redemption, (laughs) where you have like a main quest, get your car back, and then you have all (laughs) these little side stories on your way there, but even down to like the first like engagement that he has, which is like kind of talk to grandma, grandma's not working. Obtain gun, return to grandma, (laughs) obtain information, move on to next thing. It felt like a game. It felt like he was my main character. That's, I think, what helped me stay so engaged. And I like it. But like you said, it's a slice of life in a fresh post-apocalyptic story. And I enjoyed that as well. And the car was a 2011 Holden Commodore SSV Redline, which is actually a General Motors company that uh, was only sold in Australia or manufactured in Australia that was actually discontinued in 2013 and this movie came out in 2014 so like I kind of like how uh they dated this film by having that car in it and also it's it's kind of a piece of shit car and so you're wondering the whole film 
why does this guy care about that car so much? He, he has a truck that he just got, too. So yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I really liked uh, the fact that when we talk about post-apocalyptic worlds in general, and in this circumstance, it's post-crisis, but it's usually significantly into the future. We're only talking about 15 mm-hmm. years, so that's really cool for us to be able to see how the U.S. dollar still has currency effect, right? We still have, you know, availability of gasoline, which you don't see in a lot of other post-apocalyptic you know, viewpoints so it made it relevant for the viewer because we can see that happening in our lifetime right if all these economic things go wrong all of a sudden we're looking at a possible crisis that we can relate to and mm-hmm. i thought that was cool mm-hmm. with uh like with this movie being a post-apocalyptic film i uh i really enjoyed some of the cinematography i'm interested to kind of get kelly's perspective because i think you're a big cinematography person like myself on how this film was shot and like the colors and usage and things of that nature. Landscape was a huge part of it. And my personal taste is the exact opposite of Australia. (laughs) They made Australia look kind of gorgeous with the way that they shot it, but also very real and gritty and sandy and hot as fuck. Like uh, they definitely did their best to really set that and I loved the amount of times that we would get really close-ups to people's faces I loved the medium shots I think that there was a great variety between it all and the colors is the same thing as well that dog scene with all the dogs in cages I know I'm going back to it but it's all lit up in kind of like a blue and purpley kind Mm -hmm. of hue and it feels healing and it's very different from all of the oranges that we've been fed up until orange and bloody red and um, all these kind of colors and then you have this kind of cool and it's a break from all the heat and from all of the constant danger but yeah cinematography top notch blaze as our uh, resident sweat boy how do you feel about how like they uh prepped the actors and made them look and really made them feel like they were part of the environment I mean, yeah, they did a really good job. Um, I wouldn't call it costumes, but um, the way the actors just kind of looked like they lived in their own filth for 10 years. It was, um, you know, no one looked like fancy. No one looked like the, uh, again, we talk about, you know, post-apocalyptic worlds. And there's usually that, like, weird steampunk guy that has the curly mustache and the robotic spiders <laughs> i don't know i just watched wild wild west recently so i'm just thinking <laughs> um but no it was very like even down to what eric said about like some discontinued car from 2013 was the central no pun intended driving plot it's very strange to me because there's still an army so i don't know how far along they are along in this apocalypse uh but there's also total lawlessness and where you can just shoot dwarves in the face with uh you know barely any consequences the paramount uh scene was towards the end again spoiler heavy da 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 uh, they break into uh henry henry's house uh who is uh ray's brother to get the car back they're unguarded but they're guarded at the same time they sleep in twos but they're also like deep deeply sleeping and they all just like when they wake up 
they just kind of look like even worse than my morning face. So, um, you know, it seems like there are very few times where you actually get to sleep in this movie. And I really feel like they do a really good job of uh, bringing it all together the way that, you know, I think someone already said it, the way the flies just like crawl on people's faces, the way that, you know, they just kind of live in dis disrepair, disorganized uh, life. I mean, it's... Uh, it's a pretty bleak way to uh, show, especially in the Western Australian desert, which I'm sure is terrible with Wi-Fi and <laughs> and electricity. Uh, Although they, the motel did have lights, so again, I'm like just so weirded out about like when this actually takes place. <laughs> Fifteen years, I think the power grid probably would yeah, stick around. Yeah, right? there, there's some like you know maybe they have uh, some hydroelectric that's still functioning and hasn't collapsed, but. No, I, 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 I wholeheartedly agree. Um, it does seem like so. There's a military. So there's a, and they actually try to arrest Eric, and he was saying like, "I'm gonna send you to Sydney." So apparently there is still some jail there. Maybe um, it just seems yeah. like the like the grasp on society, any kind of law and order. It's very very thin, but there is still some, and it only I probably only applies when. Um, their own military members get killed, which is what Eric did. He killed a military guy, so that's why he got arrested. Anyone else you kill, you're probably not going to get, uh, you know, in trouble for it at all. But, yeah. yeah. The way that I kind of took that is, I think they say it's 10 years after the collapse, and that's the start of the movie. And I assume that would be, like, now, as far as years go. Um, mm -hmm. But for, like, the military, the way that I took that, when he says we're going to send you to Sydney... And he says, and then you can fight your way out or break out or whatever they're doing over there. It gave me the impression that, it, like, it was a economic collapse, and I think that that's confirmed. But it went under some kind of martial law, and mm -hmm. all of these military mm -hmm. bases became kind of satellites away from each other that started enacting their own kind of lay of the land. Um, that's the way that I kind of took that, and this guy's still doing paperwork, just like to make himself feel like there's some order in the world, and <laughs> yeah. I think it's just for him. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that, because it almost feels like Nazi-esque, the way that he's like, I'm just doing my job, you know? I don't give a fuck about you. I'm following orders, you know? So maybe that's, uh, I don't know. They they leave that part of the world, like we said, it's a very centralized story, so it's kind of cool the way they leave the rest of the world to your imagination. So, uh, Eric and Kevin, being our resident yeah. uh, music bros and musician types, what were your thoughts on the kind of the south, the, the overall music and themes of this? And then also, I want to ask you specifically about the Robert Pattinson karaoke scene. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if whatever right. one you want to take it away, I'll let you guys yeah. go for it. Kevin, you can go. Uh, sounds good. So I was initially impressed with the soundtrack right off the bat. I had. Um, taken some, some some notes that impressed me with the way that it aided the intensity of the of the film. I had alluded to it earlier um, when I was talking about it, but I really do think that that minimalistic aspect of it, the the atonal clanging, right, the dissonance kind of really applies well to this world. It doesn't distract you from what's happening. It only aids the suspense of what's happening with the characters. Um, and because you have 99% of the movie with that type of vibe, when you do get Robert Pattinson's um, version of Pretty Girl Rock by Carrie Hilson, which is that song that we hear there, um, 
I know me personally, I was like, eh, did something just take over my speakers? Is something <laughs> playing that I'm not paying attention to? Because it was so jarring, completely out of what the film was doing up to that point. But I appreciate it now on my kind of second viewing and note taking because I really think it broke that brutalism, broke that train of just bleakness and added something just completely poppy and bright. And it reminded us that Robert Pattinson's character is still simple-minded in that sense and still has that innocence. Um, and that allows a, the viewer to kind of attach to him a little bit more, especially up to those final scenes where we, you know, do see his eventual demise. So I really enjoyed the soundtrack in general. It aided a lot to it, and I just really thought that it uh, brought the movie together. I, I, I enjoyed this. <laughs> that scene a lot, and I think it really brought some, uh, I don't know, showed you know, who Robert Pattinson, his character was and kind of his innocence and in being trapped in this world that he was stuck in. Now, going off of... He towards... froze. Oh, sorry. Go. I froze? Yeah, <laughs> okay. sorry. Don't forget. Yeah. No, going off of the... Um, what you said, Eric, that final scene or towards the final scene where you have like kind of the, the final lead up with uh, Robert Pattinson and Guy and they meet up with the brother Henry and the whole gang and they're you know, infiltrate the house and they start lining them up uh, and it all goes, you know, horribly wrong and ended up basically everyone dies but but Eric, but Guy. And my question to you guys is, do you think that Eric is a good person or a bad person or where where do you think he lines up and, you know, if you have to, you know, is he a, is he the bad guy or is he just in what he's doing and, you know, Yes. Um, I don't think there are any good guys in this film. I think uh, the tone they set in this movie is of a moral gray where everyone is just out there to live for themselves. And again, I cannot believe how much little we're talking about Guy Pierce, how great he did in this role of just a guy who is just so over life. Um, in, in the best of ways of how he, he he's one of those actors that does more with what he doesn't say than what he actually does say. He is not a good guy. He killed his wife in cold blood. He feels bad about it. But, I mean, this, the fact that he went to those extremes, you know, really questions you as a, a person. And then the fact that he was just trying to, I, if we've already said it, I'm sorry, but he's just trying to bury his dog. Um, that's the reason why he's chasing these people and he stopped at zero lengths the amount of people like he literally killed a dwarf that was trying to sell him guns shot him cold in the face and then when you look back on it you're like oh he just wanted to get his dog's corpse so he could give him a proper burial so um, we live in a world where morals are there's not just right and wrong it's you know about survival so He's kind of a bad guy, and just like everyone else in the world that we meet, the grandma lady who called him my baby, uh, <laughs> she like seemed like almost like neutral, and then she, but the first thing she said was, "Would you like a boy to sleep with?" You know. So I think this is a very me first world that they live in now, and Guy Pierce's character is not contributing it. And he's definitely part of the perpetual cycle of, you know, lawlessness. Uh, I think someone said perfectly, it's like a Western. It's a Western that takes place during the apocalypse. So, yeah. Do you think he would have shot the dwarf if the dwarf didn't throw rocks at the dogs? Because the... Oh, good point. 
I think he, even he didn't it. have enough. He didn't have any money. Um, so he still it's should like, have shot him. <laughs> yeah, the guy was just saying like, hey, you know, no, I need, I need money, and he's, you know, like, okay, you are the only thing getting in between me and getting my my dog, my dead dog back. Um, that's pretty yeah, good. Like, that's a pretty good yeah. point. Well, I think that I think that you're exactly right because they made that a point for a reason, mm-hmm. and I think that. Perhaps up until he saw that, at any time he could be willing to walk away from this grand task that he's about to go on to figure out. Like he could have just been like, "Hey, my loss, cut my losses, time to go." Um, or would though? But, but, and then, but he well, sees okay. this stone get thrown at a dog, and he's like, "You know what? I have a mission." I don't think he was ever going to walk away though. Like he was, he was dead he set on burying his, his dog. dog but yeah. I don't know if he would have just like straight up cold, cold blood just murdered that dwarf uh but kevin um man what i was thinking about that whole scene is i think he's kind of this chaotic neutral guy who is moving on his own mission um and something triggering as a rock throwing or something like that um he talks about it in a scene where he says that no one came after him after he murdered or killed i guess in the circumstance his uh, wife and lover after that moment, there was no good or bad. There was no mm-hmm. crime. There wasn't anything because there was no justice for that. So once that happens, his brain, like you said, is singularly set on his goal and his mission. And anything that's going to stop that is it's not worth it to him anymore. And that's why we see the kind of disregard of humanity in that scene. So he had a chance to just drive away his car. You yeah. know, everyone was asleep inside. He was sitting there and definitely considering it. Uh, like I could just drive away right now and not kill anyone. Um, but I think Ray was so like I need to go in there and confront my brother for leaving me behind at the uh, military complex. So and he made it like kind of made a friend at that point where he was like, okay, I will follow you in, Ray. I will do this with you. Right. You know, like Cause, this is because Ray yeah. could have gone in and been with his brother and everything would have been fine. They would have separated their paths and everything. W- and that's so poignant when his brother's being like, what did you do to Ray at the end there? Cause like he really did have an impact on him as a person in mm-hmm. such a short amount of time together. Blaze, you look like you got something to say. Yeah, I completely disagree. I don't think that, uh, Eric and Ray were friends at all. I think, uh, Eric, bottom in the end, but no, no. I think Eric bullied him for pretty much a quarter of the movie, and uh, again, be, bit, yeah. there's a scene shortly after he um, saves Eric from the uh, army, and he makes a point to say, "Oh, it was pretty easy. I just killed two of them behind their head, and then the guy, like, why are you like almost like why are you stuck here? I'm the idiot, you know." <laughs> And then they go to the uh, the quote-unquote gas station immediately after. And again, Eric is haggling with the prices. You know, oh, I don't have that much money. I, I got Australian. They're like, no, American only. And then, uh, and, uh, God, I can't even think of his name right now. Uh, Robert Pattinson just throws out a big old wad of American cash and says, you know, this is it. So I think he was more trying to prove to Guy Pierce Ray, or... I think Robert Pattinson is trying to prove to Guy Pierce that he's not the idiot that he called him the entire time. Because if you look at their earlier conversations, you know, oh, did you know that? Or does your brother tell you that? You know, so Eric 
Ray is not a good person either, but they're not friends. That's my big point. I am so sorry. This is going to sound really jumbled, but I really wanted to make that point that they're not friends and he's not good either. So I, I, I think. Go ahead, Kelly. Okay, I think that the shift happened uh, where Ray did care for him um, because he breaks him down by saying, "Your brother doesn't care about you. He left you for dead," and he breaks down after that and shatters his reality. And he believes him. And then after he unfortunately kills that little girl, he gets the big brotherly advice of you shouldn't forget about this. That's the cost of taking a life. And I mm -hmm. think that then he attaches himself to Eric like that's his big brother and I'm going to stick with him now. And now his mission is my own and we're entwined. And I don't think that Eric necessarily cares until he sits in his car and he's like, could leave but look at this guy staring at me waiting for me to help yep I, i'm in it now like I, I i could end my mission right here but we'll see it through i i do think that they care for each other they're not friends it's not it's not a buddy buddy tommy boy movie yet but <laughs> oh, <laughs> they I do care tommy for each boy. other in the end yeah so i don't know if eric cares as much as we let on because you know with his uh with his wife and even the lover, he he went and buried them. And with his dog, he buried them. But with Ray and the and all the other guys, he just burned the bodies. So if yeah, he Viking funeral, him, though. that's a Viking funeral. Well, yeah. no, he's just, a, he just he's just another dead just, body. You're he just, right. He just yeah, burned right. him with all the other guys instead of if he's taking the time to bury the dog and even his wife and stuff. Why would he go if he's already digging a hole? He could have dug a hole for Ray, but instead he chose to just burn them all in a one massive Wait, pile. Probably just on. doesn't care right. about him as much as hold on. Yeah, hold on. Let's let's stop this oh, here. Oh, I think oh, that oh. once the results of everybody dying. He knows that he has to appreciate it and approach it the same way. There was an absolute distinct moment when they're having the conversations, when Ray has that conversation in Chinese with that lady, getting them direction to where they're going, where you see a change in the way that Eric appreciates Ray. He all of a sudden goes, wait a minute, you're not a halfwit. You're not necessarily completely useless. You just spoke this random language that I don't understand to somebody and got us directions where we're going. I think he appreciated I, him because he helped him get yeah. to his goal. Right, but I also think that what Eric mentioned right before we got it talking about this, how they're both sitting in the car, that's the defining moment that shows that Eric actually gives a shit about Ray as a person. Otherwise, he gets in that car and drives away with his dog in the back trunk, and nobody is wiser. But he wants to avenge his brother, he wants to avenge the situation, and he wants to help his now newfound friend. Or he just and wants I think, to okay. kill the guys. At, at this point in, in yeah, this I world, I don't think we can just say, like, oh, you know... People are just like friends, you know. Like it's survival number one at all times. Yeah, but I can say I can say that Ray probably at that point somewhat cared about, uh, or Eric somewhat cared about Ray. But maybe he wasn't his friend. But like, there, yeah, he decided to go inside and see it through with Ray. You know, so no, you're you're absolutely right, Cole. If he actually cared about him, he would have helped bury the dude, right? Instead of just being another body to put in the flames. That is a hundred percent right. He probably just didn't oh, care about him okay. as much as his hey, dog. Let's go. Let's go to Kelly. Lots of people throughout the film. He kills no, no, no. People throughout the film. Let and me, he does me... not do anything. He doesn't burn him. He doesn't bury him. We were talking about sound design earlier. Think about the sound when he's sitting there and he's picking up the weight of these bodies and dragging them out to the flames. And then he picks up Ray and the sound, boom, bass comes in. There is weight behind it. There's emotion behind it. It meant something. 
Fair enough. No. You know what? You're saying that you're saying the human. You're saying that he helped him right out of the goodness of his heart. He wanted to help him see it through the end. Not the goodness of his heart. He just vengeance and convenience. Yeah. Sure. Why not? I could leave, but. Vengeance and convenience. No, he went to. He snuck up on four sleeping robbers. So maybe he went to the house knowing that he could split a cash load with the guy. And if they both walked out he alive, did mention well, there was money. He did mention there was money in there. the job, too. Yo, guy here is the person Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I love when we all argue about things. It's fantastic. You know, you know what really bothered <laughs> me about that whole scene? In, in most scenes that involve body burning, I feel like it would be very difficult to burn a fresh body because they are very wet. Just like <laughs> if you ever start a campfire, there was a lot of wood. Yeah, there was a lot there's of wood. Yeah, bodies are drier. Yeah. yeah, gas, <laughs> petrol. Yeah, I throw gas on wet logs and they still don't burn up like hey. that. Jeez, Louise. You're gonna have the FBI calling you next week. So. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I keep trying to burn these bodies. Yeah, why? It's well, not working. Why I don't, don't the bodies? Burn. Literally, like thousands of people choose to get burnt. Uh, like cremation is to burn different. Their Bodies. That's different. I'm talking about just a pile of At this sticks, point, there's probably no cremation gas. services, so. There went the rail. Put behind it. He could have just left them there. Yeah. Could've, he could have left all of them in the house. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. yeah well, I don't think he was res- cool to burn bodies, though. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, no matter how much like he liked Ray, I don't think he liked him any like more or less than anyone else nope. in the house. I don't think he liked him any more than he loved his dog. Yeah, his dog no, was like, agree. Yeah, so, priority so, numero uno. So talking about yeah. the dog. So obviously the end of the movie, he after he burns all the bodies, he opens up the trunk and there is his dog that had passed away uh, and he's trying to give it a proper burial. And that's basically the whole story is him trying to put his dog at rest, which is his last glimpse of humanity and kind of where he'd become a broken man. Um you know that scene. How did uh, how did you guys feel about that, or, or what was your initial reaction when he you see him, you know, pulling a dog out to essentially bury it? Uh, I'll start with you, Kevin. Mr. My initial reaction was um, kind of like, oh, I had forgotten. I guess there was an alternative motive for all of this. Um, I noticed earlier in the film that he took very early care not to run into the trunk, for example, and he mm-hmm. was taking good care to not damage the car, but I also thought it was just about the car for some reason. Obviously, knowing that now, it seems to be a theme in these A24 movies, right? That the final thing is what is supposed to jumpstart the viewer's brain into re-watching the rest of the movie in their head and trying to figure out what it meant during the entire thing. And I think that's very similar in this situation, where you finally get that payoff, and then maybe it makes sense, maybe it infuriates you, maybe it makes you happy, it depends on, on how you are. For me, I thought it tied it together nicely. Um, I thought it put a nice bow on the whole thing. Um, but Eric mentioned it earlier in the podcast that um, it really made life feel cheap. It really made it feel like he went through all of that trouble, killed all of those people, just discarded all of that life because he valued a dog's life more than all of those other things. Um, and maybe that brings the stark reality of the post-apocalyptic world into viewpoint for the for the viewer. And maybe that was the directorial intent, and it probably was. But I thought that, in general, it just kind of put a button on it, and it went, okay, I can understand it, and uh, we move on. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. Eric? In the, like, it's weird to think about this film. Like, uh, in the end, like, it's a, a man's best friend kind of, kind of, uh, film. Like, there's no real, um, It did come out before John a, Wick, just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> there's no real, like, big comments on, you know, this dystopian world and what led to it, like I was saying. And also, like, no big societal, societal comment, um, about all of it. You know, like, you can... Just take away, like, anarchy's pretty bad when it, when it happens, you know? Um, but, like, I do, like, it's a very, like, it's a Western, you know? Like, a lot of Western films, uh, they just have a very simple plot like this. Uh, and I like how they saved the uh, the dog for the very end, um, like, and it came as a surprise. Then you finally, like, put all the dots together, and you're like, oh, okay, this is why this guy cared so much about his... Uh, his shitty car, you know, and I, I like that uh, surprise element at the end. So, oh. Kelly, yeah, uh, I can't say anything that hasn't already been said because it was so well said by the two of you. But you. Um, I saw the dog at the end, and I was just like, eh, I would do the same thing. Fair enough. <laughs> Blaze, you have anything to add before we wrap? Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I loved it and I hated it at the same time. I hated it because it felt so anticlimactic at the time I was watching it. But uh, then kind of akin to what Eric said, it really made me love the movie more because it's so inconsequential, like within the realm of that universe, that we watched this man's trials and tribulations and escape death and give death and, you know, fight the australian government just to get to his dog and it's like you know you think about uh you know like almost like in the reverse like homeward bound right like these dogs that you know want to find their master so badly uh, and the cat so it's almost like it feels like it should be a feel-good movie but the steps that it takes to get there almost makes you feel awful about it so when it turns out to be a dog, I, I wouldn't say the word subversive, especially because all this foreshadowing you guys have been telling me about that I didn't even think about, like <laughs> not T-boning the car, the dogs and the, you know, gosh, that was such a, it was so wonderful and so terrible at the same time that I have a lot of conflicting emotions about it right now. Well, it's it, we're getting down down to the the time frame where we give our reviews. But before I, uh, we, you know, we all give our reviews, I wanted to read uh, one person who did not seem to enjoy the movie Rover for one p- situation in particular, and I wanted to get your guys' take on it. Is uh, it was listed as a goof, as a basically a mess up by the filmmakers, and this person said that when Ray shoots through the motel door, and and you know, kills that young girl, you don't hear a body fall. However, when you open the door, clearly the body fell. So my question to you guys, was that done intentional intentional or was that a goof? <laughs> I mean goof. simply you, you uh, hear a little the girl doesn't no. doesn't weigh a lot. No. A little girl yeah. collapsing probably isn't going to be. I keep the surprise. Yeah, I literally yeah. a car just like tumbled over like three times earlier. We didn't, you didn't hear anything inside <laughs> I know. there. So I know. I know. It was not not intentional. <laughs> it was just yeah. 
No, I just I found it hilarious that this person went, it was a hundred percent intentional. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking. Went, about. went in and was just like, I can't believe these people fucked it up. And it's like, I yeah. think the whole point was that it was very quiet, like definitely quiet to the point where you're trying to figure out what happened and it's building the suspense. And he's just like, you're, you're you're just ringing after you shot yeah, a bullet. Like, this you, person watched I, that. They paused. Something their was wrong. And they're like. Gotta tell the internet. Yeah, they're like this. I'm this, sure you would have yeah. heard that body fall for sure. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. But yeah, I just thought that would give you a, a quick kick. But it's the time to give our reviews. Um, I will go first since I think everyone knows that I'm going to give this thing a good review because I've talked about this from our very first podcast as one of my favorite A24 films. So not to muddy the waters or. Or anything like that. I will go ahead and I'm going to give this a A plus 24 because I just absolutely, wow. absolutely love this movie. It is it is what I basically Throwing. brought me into the fold of A24. It made me realize that Robert Pattinson is a good good actor. I just I don't know. I just thoroughly enjoy this movie. Even on the second watch or not the second watch. I don't know how many times I'm at this point, but even after all these times, I keep finding small little trinkets of information about, you know, leading to the conclusion and kind of giving you those breadcrumbs along the way. I just, I love this movie. But I will pass it off to whoever wants to go next. Whoever's the most... Kelly? Kelly? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So, <laughs> uh, this is coming off, off the cuff, but this is kind of my grading scale, and it might change sometimes, but... Four quadrants of cinematography, sound design, writing, acting, and then kind of where I think that the movie falls on all of these things. Uh, The Rover itself, for me personal, and then my personal taste comes into play as well. This is not anything that I would ever probably have watched just based on the plot that's kind of Western, the um, place that it takes, like an Australian movie, like. Uh, it's not really my kind of cup of tea usually and it's very it's very masculine as well a uh, very manly kind of story so not something that i would usually see myself going towards that said exceeded all my expectations with that being the basis for it and like i had kind of alluded to before it felt like a video game i felt like i was in it i was immersed i loved that it is such a fresh take on post collapse and it's so fresh after the collapse, like we've touched on as well. Acting phenomenal, cinematography phenomenal, writing beyond phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, I thought that, every, and I, it's something that I re, will rewatch because there are so many quotable moments of it, and so many pieces that you can just like take that with me. Um, okay, so all of all of this said, I could go on and on, but I was really uh, surprised by it, and I'm giving it an A24. Yes! Okay, we're done with the podcast. Damn. I appreciate it. Everyone have a good night. This is the <laughs> best ah. rated movie that we will ever have. Goal <laughs> feels vindicated. Yes. All right. All right, go. I'll give uh, Eric, you go ahead, or you could, you could follow up. So, I yeah, I really love this film. I loved how it was a fresh take, like uh, everyone was saying, on a post-apocalyptic world. Um, I think the only thing for me that I detract from it, though, is that, I don't know, I maybe I'm not the biggest Western fan. Uh, like, I like some Westerns, but I do like kind of dystopian films that kind of comment on, you know, the world that they're in. Uh, and maybe this film didn't really need that. 
it was an entertaining story, great acting, great writing, and maybe this film didn't need that, but it did leave me wanting a little bit more at the end, I think. So, taking all that into account, I think I'm going to give this a B plus 24. It was still a very good film, just as I'm grading it on the A24 scale, knowing how much, you know, every other A24 film, uh, what it means to me and what I like about it, I think I will, I, I bring this down to a B plus 24. Well, everyone has opinions, I suppose. Uh, Blaze, go ahead. <laughs> I think Eric puts a really good spin on what he just said. Um, there's a many, many great things that I like about this film. Um, again, I like the condensed universe that they live in. I love the way Guy Pierce just completely knocked his role out of the park. I love that Robert Pattinson broke out into like being a real actor. I love the long takes, uh, the edits where like we complained about it in Under the Skin. I feel like the long takes here were actually very apropos um, in the scene that they were trying to set. And then the other thing, like we talk about A24 films, right? And this A24 film really like again with enemy where it's like subversive and you know interpretations the other good thing about a24 films that i absolutely love is the slow burn and i really feel like this movie did a phenomenal job at making your heart like skip a beat at least once every five minutes um my biggest complaint about this film is very strange because i really love robert pattinson in this film I think this film would have benefited without Robert Pattinson. I think it would have just been Guy Pierce on his own, mm. taking the uh, the Lone Ranger point of view. No, 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 because here's the thing. I, I think there is a film superior to this film that kind of touches on the same themes that came out before it, and it has two lead characters. It's called The Road. Um, it's based on a book by Carmen uh, uh, McCarthy and... Yeah, and it is phenomenal and does everything that this film, but just a little bit better. So I feel like if it would have like split off a little bit on its own, the way that you know all the great things that I said about it, plus you know whatever the other thing was, I think it would have it would have gotten closer to what Cole and Kelly said. But uh, I'm gonna have to sit with Eric. I'm gonna give it a B24. Um, just on my first time watching it, maybe I'll like it again. I'm going to give it a B24, solid B, yeah. <laughs> but it's not The Witch. It's not Midsummer. and it's not Hereditary. So It's not trying to be. It's trying to be something different and better. Uh, up there. I do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Eric, did you so, have something to throw in there? Or? I was just saying, if I'm going to grade this on like a scale of Westerns, though, this is probably one of my favorite Westerns I've ever seen. So fair enough, fair I, I will yeah, give it that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, All right Kevin, don't disappoint me. So, I know, fair enough. So, Cole had mentioned this tagline earlier, and I'm going to start my review with it, because I think it's very relevant to what we talk about, is fear the man who has nothing to lose. I think that really sets up the viewer in general for how this entire film plays out. The rover makes a nihilistic statement about how quickly society can discard its moral compass when food and shelter become scarce, and I think that rejection of all of those moral principles really sets the entire... Um, backdrop for this entire movie it's one of those movies where it's set in a world where life is bleak and destroyed <laughs> and i think that also sets up a really cool um post-apocalyptic post viewpoint for that viewer 
we talked about the modern day Western at nauseum, but I really think that is relevant because Westerns in general, right? They stress the harshness of the environment, the isolation of the wilderness in general. And I think that it did a good job of making you feel those, those aspects of the outback. Um, I thought that Pattinson and Guy Pierce were excellent in their roles. Um, they did a really good job of, of showing the emotion because those were the entire characters moving the vehicle of the movie forward. Um, I thought that the soundtrack, the cinematography, and the viewpoint in general was all done very well. But what I did have a complaint about was kind of the pacing of the movie in the middle parts. I felt the intensity of the beginning when it set up the the plot driver from the accident into the moving. Um, but it died off very quickly when you got Guy and Robert together and they were just kind of chatting, chatting, chatting as they were traveling. Then it ramped up in intensity at the end. So if I did have a complaint, it would be that it kind of had that lull, but maybe that was also intentional in there to kind of keep us moving. Um, in the end, um, it felt like an A24 movie, which is probably a good thing in general when we're talking about those formulaic sets of leaving a big question at the end, but also having that art house vibe about the entire film. It was not successful across the board for major audiences because it definitely did not appeal to a major mainstream audience it had that niche vibe that indie vibe and that's the reason that it didn't make as much money doesn't mean it's a bad film but it does not mean that it appeals to a mass audience in the end i think that it fits down the middle for me and i give it a b plus 24 wow well i uh i appreciate everyone's opinions uh Kelly's the most for sure. Um, <laughs> I appreciate everyone listening and enjoy the podcast. Uh, this is truly an amazing film, and if you have not seen it, I don't know why you're listening because we just ruined the whole thing, and that is why it's so special. Uh, I'll renag. Uh, I'll renag. I'll give it a B plus twenty four. I feel like I don't want to be like the Debbie Downer. I'll give it a B plus twenty four. B plus and above club. All right, Good so job, this is Rover. officially our uh, highest rated film of the podcast. So congrats to me, congrats to our pets. Uh, everyone have a good night. Good job I with all you your all. contributions on this film, Cole. Yes. <laughs> eventually, yeah. eventually, we will make up that twelve million dollar deficit, or what is it? Uh, no, nine million dollar deficit that. They... <laughs> yeah. One day. One day. <laughs> we'll get it'll, there. It'll it'll be our highest rated until we rewatch Spring Breakers, and you guys will have a little head. You'll be more mature. You'll you know. 